Amen. Amen. You know, God is an awesome God. Amen. And we're thankful for all that He does for us. And it's our joy to be here this morning, worshiping Him and thanking Him for all that He does. Um, you know, we are a teaching hospital, if you will. We, uh, people come in and um, we, uh, we preach the gospel and, and people respond to the gospel. Hopefully we're raising them up as disciples and sending them out into the harvest. Amen. And um, so um, one way we do that is through our discipleship programs and, and uh, being in God's Word. And we're going to get in God's Word in just a moment. Um, I have something I want to share with you just to, by way of celebration. Uh, Monica, I'm going to ask if you'd come on down here for a minute. You and Jim both. You know, um, as we teach and as we send out, um, a lot of the things that, that our people are involved in um, some of it has to do with disaster relief. Some of it has to do with helping feed people here in Temple. Some of it has to do with foreign missions and, and being available uh, for other people as we minister to them. Um, Jim and Monica have been involved in disaster relief ministry. And uh, after uh, they retired from their jobs, they got really involved in Texas Baptist Men. And uh, so whenever there's uh, a disaster, if there's a hurricane, if there's a flooding, uh, those kind of things, they go and they respond, whether it's uh, taking mud out of houses or, or doing those kind of things. Um, the end of this last year, uh, Monica, she finished a um, certificate in ministry program through uh, Baylor University through Truett Seminary. And um, this, is, this is tremendously important because um, she's also working on a continuing advanced uh, certificate in ministry dealing with chaplaincy because a lot of times when you're out there um, ministering um, and helping people uh, put their lives back together, um, you need some, some theological basis for that. And so uh, Monica has, has been working on that, and it's a joy this morning to present this certificate of ministry to her uh, from Baylor University and from the George W. Truett Theological Seminary. God bless you. God bless you. You know, it's an amazing thing because we send out our finest to do the work that God calls us to do. And, um, you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't feel qualified for that, Brother Ridge. It's like, well, get qualified. What are you waiting on? Do what you need to do to be able to do what God's calling you to do. He equips the called. And so it, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I know that uh, you can congratulate Mo Monica on that and on her work there. Um, we're going to continue on this morning in our series on discipleship. And uh, if you're ready to hear the word, I just want you to say amen. Amen. I love to hear that eagerness. Uh, last week we talked about the path of discipleship. Today we're going to talk about the proof of discipleship. And we're going to be coming out of Luke chapter 6. And if you have your scripture and would turn there, um, there's a, just a wonderful opportunity here that we have. And I want you to understand something. As, as I pray through and, and see what God has for me to bring on Sunday morning, um, I preach... I preach with the idea of somebody here is going to make a decision. Somebody here, I, I, I preach for that decision. And the reason I say that is because the gospel of Jesus Christ is life-changing. 
It's transformational. We're not reading something just so that we can get information or get to the end of the story. We're reading something so that we can, it'll, it'll actually change our lives. And see, we have the opportunity to hear the word. What if you live somewhere where they didn't have churches? What if you live somewhere where they didn't have ministers, where they didn't have somebody who could bring God's word and, and share it with you? What would you do? Because there are people literally all over the world that that is the case. But we have the luxury, if you will, of coming to this place. I mean, you all are the church. This is just the building where we meet. But you are the church. And so what happens is when we come to this place, we come for encouragement. We come to, to recognize who God is and, and, and out of that we worship Him. For what he has done and who he is. But recognize also, it takes a commitment from us to do something like that. More than just, I want to say, showing up. Now, this morning I, I want this message to be an encouragement to you. Last week, I was told that I stepped on somebody's toes. Well, I, I, you know, I got, I got the skin of a rhino probably, you know. But what I said was this, then wear your hard-toed shoes. Because we need this. In the day when the battle is waxing hot, I don't want to be a flabby believer. I want to be in fighting trim. I want our people to be ready to face the battle that comes. I don't want you to be ignorant of the Word. And so when I share this, I share this with all the love of a pastor's heart for his people. To say this is important stuff that we need to take in. This is, this is stuff we need to digest and break it down and see what God is saying to me personally, to you personally. It's not just something that Ridge does on Sunday morning. It's something that we live out our life every single day of the year. Amen. Folks, that's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm striving for. Is to see the gospel in you. As we look at this, recognize that Jesus in, in Luke 6, He comes to the end of this great sermon in which He said some very difficult things. And he drives home the necessity of obeying what he has taught. And he asks pointedly, he asks the question, we're going to read it in just a moment. He asks the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I've asked you to do? If you don't do what I say? Kind of be like going to your boss and having your boss say, why do you call me boss? If you're not going to follow my instructions, if you're not going to do what I tell you to do, you probably wouldn't be an employee very long, would you? But that's the point. We call him Lord. We call him Master. Why would we call him that if we're not going to do what he tells us to do? Then he concludes with his familiar parable of two men building separate houses. And the first one lays a foundation on the rock. And so his house stands firm when the flood bursts against it. 
And the second one foolishly builds his house without a proper foundation and so it's destroyed by the flood. See, in this parable, the foundation, the foundation is obedience to Christ's teaching. The man who did not build on the foundation, he heard, he heard the teaching. Both of them heard the teaching. But one of them chose to dig down and build on the rock, and the other chose not to, but they both heard the teaching. See, he did not, the second one didn't obey Jesus' teaching, and it results in a tragic loss. So Jesus ends his sermon abruptly, leaving us to think about the tragic scene of a house being destroyed by the flood and challenging us, you and I, to make a choice. To make a choice, to make a decision. Luke chapter 2, verse 46 and following. God's Word says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like the man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. Loving Father, I ask that you would show us your truth in our lives. Father, that your Holy Spirit would examine us from the inside out. And in these next few moments, that you would transform our lives by the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. See, in our scripture passage, Jesus showed us That genuine disciples, real disciples, authentic disciples, are obedient to God's Word. In this account, it reveals like three principles here, and I want to give these quickly to you. The first one is that Jesus must be Lord if He is to be our Savior. He must be Lord if He is to be our Savior. I mean, we call Him Lord, Lord, but are we doing what He says? See, we need to understand something, that everyone has an authority over their life. Each and every one of us has an authority over our lives. We may not always like that, but that is the fact. And in fact, we must be obedient to that. Whether that is the policeman out on the street, whether that is the teacher at school, whether that is your mom or your dad, we all have an authority over us. And we all have an authority over us, as in God. Okay, so we all have that authority. The key is, are we being obedient to that authority? Because God has given each one of those. That's the way He designed it. We don't have a choice in that. That's the way He designed it. 
This account also reveals that obedience to God's word is foundational for disciples. If you say you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then obedience to God's word is what matters. You cannot say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and then just not obey his word. You need to understand this because he says, he who comes to me, hears my words, and acts upon them, and is obedient to them, does them. Thirdly, I would say, a life built on obedience will stand in the day of judgment. But recognize that the opposite of that is also true. A life that is not obedient will not stand in the day of judgment. This is some heavy stuff, I understand. Because we think we can live however we want, whenever we want, and do whatever we want, and Jesus will be okay with it. Understand, Jesus must be Lord if he is to be your Savior. See, obedience to God is an expression of our love for God. And Jesus uses a simile here. He uses a simile to illustrate the fate of the person who trusts in him for his or her eternal salvation. That's the two people that we have. He says there, in in verse 48, he said, He is like a man building a house. He's the one who hears the gospel and lives out the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the same terms and in simple terms, this man obeys God's commands. Whereas the one who builds on a poor foundation is the man who gives Jesus Christ lip service and does not obey his will as revealed in God's word. Notice, it says in verse 48 there, he is like a man building a house And then the very next phrase says, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. Who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. You know, 2 Timothy 2.19 says this. It says, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. I think that's huge. You know, that hymn, How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He hath said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Folks, you cannot beat the theology of the hymns. It's telling us that Jesus is that firm foundation. And even though all hell wants to shake it loose, He's not going to let that happen. That's an amazing promise. See, as the hymn writer says, the only firm foundation in which a soul soul can believe is in God's excellent word, ultimately the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the word of God and the word of life. 
Build your life on the rock of Christ Jesus. Now it says there that he dug deep. This is interesting because this is the only account of this sermon in the Gospels that says he dug deep. And there's actually two words for this. Um, there are actually two different Greek word, verbs used here. The one who dug, so who dug, and then dug deep. So Jesus is using two different verbs to talk about how the guy dug, who dug deep. And he's placing emphasis on the effort in which a, a man went to prepare his foundation. How much effort are we putting in our foundation, in building that solid foundation? Because it matters. Obviously, it matters a lot. Jesus said, it's the one who dug, who dug deep. And he's putting that emphasis there for, for a reason, but don't hear what I'm not saying. Of course, our efforts do not save us, but they do demonstrate that our salvation is genuine and authentic. We are saved by God's grace through our faith. In Jesus Christ. But Jesus is saying you have to dig deep. You have to put effort in. Folks, I can't coach effort. You have to desire that. You have to want that. I can't do that for you. I cannot dig the foundation for your house. You have to dig it. And you have to put forth effort to do that. Not to be saved but to be obedient. To make sure that your house is founded on the rock. See, Jesus warns us that the foundations of our lives will be shaken at one time or another, both now in seasons of difficulty. If you feel like you're in a season of difficulty, I want you to say amen, Brother Ridge. Amen. Yeah. Our, our, our foundations are being shaken in seasons of difficulty. But understand this. There is an ultimate judgment before God that is coming. You don't know what you have until your foundation is shaken here and now. But when it's shaken here and now, then you understand how it's going to hold up in the judgment. Because if it's shagalabagala... If it's not any good right now, sorry, that's a Tanzanian term. Shagalabagala, you know, wishy-washy, loosey-goosey. See, it's better that we test our foundation of our life right now rather than later at the judgment before God when it is too late to change it. Notice the word in verse 49 says, but the one. There's a term of contrast there. Jesus is contrasting two different individuals. One dug deep and laid down the foundation on the rock. He uses the word but. And he's, he's contrasting the doers versus the not doers. Those who don't do. See, the fate of hearers who are doers is contrasted with the fate of hearers who are not doers. 
And listen, doers are not saved by their doing, but they do because they believe. And as genuine believers, they have the supernatural power in the spirit of almighty God in order to do. It's not easy to dig deep. But the Holy Spirit gives us the power to dig deeper. So that we might become what God calls us to be. See, have you heard the good news of Jesus and still failed to believe it, to embrace it, to put your trust in it? See, even more deceptively dangerous is a profession of faith where we profess Christ with our lips and failure to do or to obey Christ. And if you are in either of those categories, then you need to listen up. Because what he is saying here, Jesus is describing your eternal destiny here. If you have just lip service to Jesus Christ, if you said, yeah, I belong to Christ, but you're not doing what he has called you to do, then that's what we call lip service. And that's what Jesus says is like the man who built his house on the sand. And when the torrent came against it, great was the loss. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's what he's talking about here. In verse 48, it talks about the torrent, literally uh, like a river of flowing water, rushing. Maybe think about a, a river that is at flood stage and it's overflowing its banks and it's causing destruction and chaos. You know, a few years ago, I went to Haiti in order to teach Master Life to some pastors there so they could teach their people about discipleship. While I was there, I noticed some very poorly designed houses that were literally built on the side of a mountain. Anywhere they could just level off a little place and and, and put this thing up, they did that. They didn't have much to any foundation, which really surprised me. Because I was thinking, man, with all the technology we have, with all the the equipment, with all the things that we have in our our country and in in the world, these things aren't built very well. I certainly didn't want to stay in one. So when the rains come and the floods come, and they do come in Haiti, many times they're in the path of the hurricanes or they're in that loop where they get a lot of the rain. And what happens is, is those houses literally melt on that mountainside because they're made of sticks and mud. And when it rains, they dissolve. He says there, the end of verse 49, and the ruin of that house was great. When you think about the word ruin there, think about like the breach of a dam that is is broken. 
Think about a dam giving way to the lake that's behind it and all the water and all the force pushing through that, that hole in the dam. Or if in medical terms, maybe think about something that has been ruptured. You have all the force that is, is just, it's just flowing out. It's, it's going like that. And so what he's saying here is the ruin of that house was great. The house is not going to just suffer, suffer a little bit of water damage. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the house being utterly destroyed. Folks, that's sobering. The guy who didn't build his house on the solid rock, his house was destroyed. I mean, what a picture. What a picture of the final judgment of unregenerate sinners who will not physically be broken to pieces, but who will suffer the breakage. You think about all of their wealth, all of the power, all of the prestige, and the eternal loss of everything that they valued in this short life here on earth will be utterly destroyed. That's why he says, and the ruin of that house was great. It was overwhelming. I mean, what a terrible thought that souls, that souls created in the image of God, meant to have a relationship with God, will suffer an eternal existence in chaos, one that's void of any meaning whatsoever except to demonstrate that God's judgment against unrepentant sinners is just and righteous. In the book of Hebrews, we see this principle of hearing. Hebrews 3, 18 and 19. We see this principle of hearing and not obeying being played out in the life of Old Testament Israel. It says, And to whom he did swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that we are not able to enter in because of unbelief. Notice clearly there is a parallel between disobedience in Hebrews 3.18 and unbelief in, in Hebrews 3.19. In other words, Israel's unbelief was indicated by her disobedience. Our unbelief is indicated by our disobedience. Listen, if we call Jesus our Lord, we prove it by doing what he tells us to do in his word. I mean, notice that Jesus unequivocally asserts his rightful place and position as Lord. He didn't say, don't call me Lord. He says, you call me Lord, Lord. But you don't do what I say. He recognizes that he has the rightful authority to be called Lord. And his lordship governs all of life. Even down to our very thoughts. The very things we think about. See, obedience to Jesus is not just an option for some who want to become more committed. It's the core of what it means to follow Christ. Those who do not submit to the lordship of Jesus 
probably have good cause to question whether or not they are actually a believer in Jesus Christ. Notice in this passage, the house. The house in this passage represents our lives. We're all building a house. And the question is, are we building our lives on the sure foundation? Are we building our lives on the foundation of obedience to Jesus? Or are we building it on the sand of an empty confession of faith to Him? You know, to build a house takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. It takes a lot of money. It's not like quickly putting up a shed out back or someplace you don't plan to spend much time inside or even really expect it to last. You might throw a shed up fairly quickly. You may not even insulate it. It may not even have power. But if you're talking about building your home, you're going to take a lot of time and a lot of expense to do that because you're going to spend a fair amount of time in it. Understand this, that disobedience usually comes much easier than obedience. We know that. We're bent towards it. We're going to choose disobedience every time. It seems at the time like it's going to get you where you want to get more quickly than the more difficult path of obedience. Has anyone here ever taken a shortcut and then had to pay the price for it? I started calling them delightful long cuts. But the idea is, is we want to take a shortcut, but when we finally learn that the hard way is often the best way, and the long way is often the right way, then we will find that our lives are established in the teaching of Jesus, and then no storms will shake them. The reason we find ourselves being shaken by the storms is we didn't dig down. We didn't put forth effort to make sure that we are founded on the rock of Christ Jesus. Now when you build a house, you can be sure that no matter where you build it, that the storms will come to test your foundation. I mean, can you see? Can you see beyond the physical? Can you see beyond the emotional? Can you see beyond the temporary? Beyond the material? Can you see beyond the visible? Can you see beyond the grave? See, the storm of cancer may be upon your family, may be upon a family member. The hurricane of debt may have just taken out your business. The tornado of Satan himself spinning family relationships into turmoil. See, we are often staggering from one disaster to another in this life. We have a saying for that. We say, if it's not this, it'll be something else. If it's not one thing, it's another. Listen, the forecast 
is that there is a 100% chance of a flood hitting your life in the near future. A 100% chance of a flood hitting your life in the near future. And in your storm, will you be able to stand firm or are you going to fall flat? Realize that God has a greater purpose than your immediate comfort. What we are building is tested today by the storms of life. But understand this. There will be a final and greater testing at the judgment seat of Christ. And in light of that forecast, now's the time to check your foundation. Now's the time to make sure you're where you need to be. Because if you're living in daily obedience to Jesus on the heart level, your house will stand. And if you call him Lord, but you're living for yourself, you'd better start digging. You'd better start getting obedient. So what can we do to make sure that our house is built on the rock of obedience to Christ and not on the sand? Jesus mentions three things, and I kind of skipped over them. Go back up to verse 47. Jesus mentions three things here. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. Comes to me, hears my word, acts on them. Those are the three things that he says is like the man who was digging down deep and founding his house on the rock. He that comes to me, in order for us to come to him, we have to surrender. It can't be about us. When he says, he that hears my words, that's discipleship. Hears my words and ingests them and, and learns from it and begins to, their life begins to be transformed. And then he says, and he acts upon them. Folks, that is obedience. It takes surrender. It takes discipleship. It takes obedience to dig deep and put your house on the rock. See, first you have to come to Jesus. Folks, this is a personal, I'm wrapping this up. This is a personal relationship, one-on-one with Jesus Christ. You know, in the, in the parallel passage in Matthew, Jesus says to the hypocrites that have done all their impressive work, You know, they've told him all the things they've done. And he said, I didn't know you. Depart from me. I never knew you. See, Christianity is not a system of rules where you eventually decide that you're going to start working on the list. The point is this. Do you know Jesus? And does he know you? It's a relationship. It's all about that personal relationship With the living, risen Savior. See, because our sins separate us from a holy God. Our sin separates us. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. So we deserve death because of our sin. But here's what happened. Jesus came here to earth. He lived a sinless life. And he paid your sin debt. He paid my sin debt. With his very own blood. 
He covers our sin with His blood. And really every sinner who will stop trusting in themselves and turn to Jesus and trust in His blood as the only satisfaction for their sin, Scripture tells us they are redeemed, that they are saved for all eternity. But you must first come to Jesus. Second, you have to hear His words. This implies growing knowledge and understanding His teaching as revealed in the Bible. It's discipleship. And if you're not feeding daily on God's Word, learning from how He wants you to live, you're living according to the desires of your own flesh. You're being squeezed into the world's mold. See, the teaching of the Bible centers on two main topics. One is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is to love your neighbor as you, in fact, do love yourself. Love him and love others. See, that's the bottom line for biblical knowledge. Are you loving God well? Are you loving others well? And the third says that you must act upon his words. Folks, this is that soul-searching obedience. Down to our very thoughts, the very things we think about other people, the very things we think about God, the very things that are going on in our head. Are we taking all of those captive to the obedience of Christ? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. It means examining ourselves in light of what God's Word says. Now as I bring this in for a landing here, spiritually, a lot of people come to Jesus only for the benefits that He offers. It seems like they're instantly enjoying the blessings of salvation, even though maybe they've never repented of their sin even though they are not daily judging their own sin by His Word. Oh, they enjoy the good feeling, maybe of singing music and you know, the songs and sway into the music. They love the, the feeling and the fellowship they get with the body of Christ. But in their private lives, in the life that nobody else sees, they're not digging down to the foundation of obedience to God's Word. I mean, that's really all I desire for each one of us is that we would be doing that, digging down, putting forth effort to know what God's Word says and to live by God's Word. Hey, if you don't think we need that in our society, you need to wake up. Somebody's brain dead. Because we need that worse than anything. Men and women, young people, digging deep into God's Word and building their life in obedience to Him. You know, when you peel away the outside, many professing Christians, even some in ministry, are just living for self. I mean, what motivates their Christian service is not the, the glory of the Savior who gave Himself for them, they're not doing what they do because they love the Lord Jesus. They're doing it because they're motivated by the strokes they get from serving. They love the affirmation. They love the pats on the back. But if their service goes unrecognized or someone else gets the credit, they begin to get angry. And maybe they throw in the towel and quit. See, their mo motive was to please themselves and not to please the Lord. 
They're not laboring in view of eternity, waiting to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, whatever God is doing in your life today, whatever He is doing in your life, all I can tell you to do is to come to Him, is to surrender. To surrender. Surrender your all to Him. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing a song together as our worship team comes. But let me ask you this question. What do you need to surrender in your life today? What do you need to bring to Jesus? Your relationships? Your marriage? Your job? Your church membership? Your finances? Your life? Whatever you need to surrender, that's what this following time is for, is for you to surrender that. First, we have to come to him. We have to surrender it. Then we have to hear his words. And then we obey. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Lord Jesus and how he challenges each of us. And Father, this is not easy. It's a hard word. But I recognize, Father, that you desire us to be more than we are. Father, we, we need a, a jolt to bring us back to reality. We live in this world of, of fantasy. Father, we live with all of our, our needs and our, our, most of our wants met. And so, Father, I pray that you would wake us up. That you would show us the area where our foundation is not secure. That, Father, that we would get it right today and not wait until that final judgment when it's too late. But, God, that your Holy Spirit would guide each of us into truth. And that we would recognize, Father, that we need to dig deep, that we need to put some effort into being obedient to you. It's not just whatever happens, happens. But, Father, it's what we do with what we know in obedience to your word. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you, for Lord Jesus, for giving us the truth. And Holy Spirit, I ask that in the moments that follow, that each of us would surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. Jesus, that we would make you Lord. We love you, we praise you, be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me.